Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Command Zone. This is episode numero 33. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And, and I'm Craig Blanchett. I just totally ran over your words. I'm so sorry, Craig. Dude, you Don't are like him. a pro now. Yeah, I was going to do the like, and Andrew loves his love. But... He's like, guys, I've been on the show 15,000 times. <laughs> I will just introduce my damn self. Yep, and Craig, you did it. So that's Craig Blanchett, everybody, joining us on the show Co-producer, today. co-creator of Top Decking, the web series. Yeah. Um, I don't think we plugged that enough last time. I agree. We need to plug this show more. Yeah, if you play Magic, then you will like a web series about Magic the Gathering. So Absolutely. So definitely check it out. Uh, you can find it. Where can we find it, Craig? On YouTube. We should mention that we're teaming up with our sister podcast, uh, The Masters of Modern, and Craig and the people behind uh, Top Decking, the web series, and sort of creating uh, a new, I don't know, channel on, on YouTube. And uh, we've got some other content in the works. There'll be more announcements about that soon. Keep your ears out. So today's episode, again, is a question-based episode. We had so many great answers to this last week, uh, and also we're giving away prizes to everyone. I don't know if our answers questions. were great, but the questions were the good. The questions were good, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll take a back seat on whether or not uh, tooting our own horn here. Uh, but all of these lucky people asked us questions on Twitter or over email, and we're going to answer them. And if you get your question answered on air, you get a prize. You're a winner, winner. Winner, winner. Now, if you want to uh, actually receive your prize, then when you hear your name on air, you're going to have to email us Mm -hmm. at commandcast at rocketjump.com and give us your mailing address so that we can send you the cool stuff. That's right. Uh, So congrats to you guys all in advance. And I think it's time to ring the customary bell because you've won prizes. Bing! That's our bell. That's the bell. Bing! <laughs> I gotta say, I did see this stuff too, and this stuff is awesome. I am jealous of everybody receiving stuff for That's bringing right. in their questions. Uh, as we mentioned last week, Josh has brought the Modern Masters pack into the mix. I've got an Instrad booster pack in the mix, and we also have lots of cool, just random foils, random rares, and Playmats, other booster, booster really, packs. Yeah, really cool. Funko stuff. Pop figures. We still have a Commander 2014 green deck, although that may have gone out with the first batch. Who knows? Who knows? 
You'll know when you get it in the mail. That's right. Be sure right. when you get it to tweet out your uh, or Instagram out your yes. picture to us. Whoever gets the Modern Masters pack, please show us the foil. Yes, goif. yes, yeah. please yes. do. Let us know. And the regular goif in the regular Mythic. Spot. They're gonna get I mean, a yeah. goif and a foil goif. Of course. I'm gonna say this. It happens that... like one out of every three packs. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> that is that's what statistically true. Uh, that's yeah. why I love statistics, guys. <laughs> uh, I will say though, and this is weird because it is truly random, but the pack. That I've sent out. I've had some pictures come back with some oh, yeah. awesome pulls, some foil rares. We've got like Goblin foil Rabble, Rabble Master. Master. Yeah, it was pretty. Uh, the Rabble Master I don't think was foil, but the card is still like oh. over ten dollars, so it's an awesome pull. All right, so let's get on to the questions for today. And starting it off, and of course we're gonna have the lovely Abby Drake reading all of the questions as well. Bring a new uh, dramatic flair to the podcast that was not prior there. Actually, maybe it was prior there. Who knows? Uh, no, Abby <laughs> definitely brought it with her. It wasn't yeah. here before. That's right. And she's also introing. She's the person that's behind the intro and the finale of both this show and the Masters of Modern. So the first question is from John Belknap over email. And the question is, how do I learn to expect when someone has an answer to my strategy and not get demolished when I go for the kill? So this is called reading your opponent. Yes. It's a it's more of a art than a science. Um, I think there's a couple things to look for. One is just open mana. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, one is just open mana. The other is what color of that mana. And as you play more, you'll learn what colors are sort of to watch out for for specific types of things that you're doing. So yeah. if white is open, you may have to worry about board wipes. If blue's open, obviously counter spells. Um, if, I don't know, red's open, then you, you have to worry about things that are damage-based yeah, uh, more than just destruction-based. Uh, There's some destruction-based things. But not that many. If it's green that's open, you don't have to worry as much. But maybe like enchantment removal could be green. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a lot of times if you see certain colors open, you know what you don't have to worry about. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you see only black mana available, you don't have to worry about getting countered. And there, the nice thing is that you're at a table with multiple players. Usually, usually you're going to attack the person that you think has the least chance of demolishing you when you're going for the kill or whatever. Or just learn to not go for the kill and learn how to play around certain stuff. Especially if you're playing with people you play with before, you know what's in their deck. I know? mean, if you're going for something like you've got Perforos on the table and you can cast Prosh and basically kill everybody, you just need to look for that window where it looks safe. And a lot of times that's going to mean not doing it at the first opportunity. Right. It's going to mean casting it at the time when these two players are tapped out and this right. other guy only has green mana available. Or you can tap out, or you won't tap out when you cast it, so you have another spell that is a little insurance on top of that. Right. You might draw out mm-hmm. a counter spell. You know, I do that a lot. It's like, well, I know that deck's a counter deck or it has a, quite a few counters, so I'll wait until I have two pretty good threats and I can actually play them both in one turn. Yeah. And then I'll play one of them. And hope he counters that, and then I'll play the second one. And it's like, well, at least I get something out. Yeah. That's another way to go. The other thing to pay attention to is just people's eyes. And in Commander, it's very, very obvious because the board state's so complicated that you have to... It's really hard to be sly about what you're looking at. And the way that people are usually situated, like you have to turn your head fully to the left to see what that guy's got on his board and fully to the right to see what that guy's got on his. And you can sort of see who people are eyeing. And if you pay attention to that, you can sort of tell like, well, this guy's worried about me, but that guy over there is not worried about me. So then that will sort of inform when you can act based on who is sort of being hypervigilant about you and who's not. If you've ever played poker before, yeah. Commander's a lot like poker where you're playing the people, not so much, you know, you're playing their decks as well. But 
you know, I would say like a literal way to answer this question is look at their lands first. If their lands are tapped out that, you know, what's their left, you know, force of will or pact of negation or some variant of that. Um, and then look at their board. If they have an answer on the board, then obviously don't do anything. Um, but other than that, you know, then read their face. And if they look like they're, they're boned, then go for the kill. Yeah. I think there are also times, you know, just keep this in mind. There are times where you just don't have any choice. So like you're at, you got seven poison counters and the guy's going to do something and kill you next turn for sure. And it's like, yeah, my thing may get countered or it may get destroyed or whatever. But if my only chance is if that doesn't happen, then do it. Right. Definitely. So good question, John. All right, moving on. We got a question from Kristen Koch at, at Dune Echo on Twitter. And the question is, is, oh, what? No, I just had, there was a guy at my high school and he spelled his last name K-O-C-H, but it was actually pronounced Cook. So I, I'm not oh, saying- Oh, you know what? I think it actually is Coke or a Cook. Yeah, so- yeah. Sorry, Chris, Kristen. Uh, so the question is- Just curious, but what are the most unique commander decks you've encountered? Chromat? <laughs> Josh's five color Chromat is definitely unique. It is very unique. Um, uh, Eli, I'll shout out Eli, our, our editor. Oh, yeah. He has a dwarven deck. It's actually a barbarians deck because they have retconned all the dwarves to bar- barbarians, but it is an all dwarf deck. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like um, dwarves. I haven't actually seen it, but uh, when we had Brian David Marshall uh, on our podcast, he talked about a guy who had an all white bordered deck which I think is awesome, and I want to build one really bad. And it offends some people to no end, which is great, too. I'm that so of, mad about... Me. <laughs> that offends me Are you greatly. one of those? I am you're a, a bigot? I, no, I've, I've actually made a few of my decks all black-bordered, and to go all You are one of those. I get it, monster, but Greg. it's... You're one of those. How can you... You cannot keep the white border down, man. Yeah. All right. Hey, are there enough good ones to make it work? <laughs> this oppression will not stand. I want to make it very clear that I am talking specifically about magic right now. No, no. I- <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. White-bordered cards are still cards. Yes. Right. They're, yeah. They are people. No, they're not people. They're just cards. <laughs> they're just little pieces of cardboard. Um, That is definitely unique. I think I've seen some... Uh, the Ashling deck I played is unique because, I mean, it's like it's a oh, variation yeah. on... Phil the, from the Five yeah. Commanders podcast played like a 95 deck lands and some... 99 plays. lands and an Ashling. Yeah, or in Phil's case, there's a few alterations in there. But, it's, it, you know, that is a unique deck to play because it's, yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting board threat to keep in mind that you're also just kind of not worried about, and that's when you can get into trouble. Um, yeah. Greg? I'm trying to think of unique, unique decks deck. I've faced. I've... I guess your Infect is pretty unique in our playgroup. No, he's got nine of them. How but can he's it be the unique? only one? He's yeah. the only one that plays it. So. But I mean, it's not. He has nine. I've seen nine <laughs> different ones. I mean, I like to think my Tim deck is pretty unique. Yeah, I've seen yeah. One of those. The Tapper, yeah, yeah. deck. I like that deck a lot. I think your build of the Chromat deck is very unique. Uh, I think D's build of Sigarda uh, is very uh, unique. Uh, I like that decks are also unique to the players that build them. Yeah, yeah. it really is like a Freudian thing. Like your yeah. deck is built the way that you. It's like a deep search into your soul. What cards you put in there? I mean, no matter what you do, you can't escape like who you are at the root of it, and your deck will always show that. Whenever somebody has something that's like this deck is all doors, or this deck is all you know soldiers, or something like that, I have a you you know a respect for that because it's like it's like okay, you you appreciate the lore of the game, you know you're. A Melvin or whatever. A Vorthos. A Vorthos. Vorthos. Yeah, yeah. Vorthos. All right, on to our next uh, question, or listener question. It's from Bruce. Actually, Bruce has a couple. He's at Brawlmac 
Is that how you say it? Yeah, I was going to say Brahmanac. I think Bra- Brahmanac is kind of cool, too. Brahmanac sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> At Brahmanac. All right, take it away, Abby. If you could only make a deck from one set or block, not counting commander sets, what would you choose and why? Um, Ooh, wow. wow. Okay, well, um, mine would be Time Spiral block. Time Spiral? I don't even know the cards in Time Spiral. Well, Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, Future Sight, they just have the most mechanics. It's the most complicated set ever mm-hmm. made. Um, I think I heard once Mark Rosewater said that like before that block, the entirety of Magic had like 50 me- mechanics. Oh, and that block alone has like 48 mechanics. Oh my gosh. That's so, insane. Some of them were reused mechanics from because right. it was a it was a it was a nostalgia set, but it, I just think it has the most complexity. And the other set I would say is cons, and that's mm-hmm. simply because cons is the only block with that amount of lands. Yeah, and also a lot of legendary creatures that are very tight. Like it would be a very interesting game if you yeah, just had cons. Yeah, that's true. Actually, you have to have enough legendary creatures. It's really about the wedges. Yeah, you know. I would definitely go mirrored and besieged. Yeah, because it's got this card that <laughs> actually, actually, for a different reason. What? Somewhat. Sure, right. Yeah, sure. The creators, the creators are some oh, of my right, favorite right. EDH cards ever. Um, like Elish Norn. Elish Norn. Elish Norn. Uh, I think the Praetors are all going to get. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk that those are going to get reprinted. I hope so. I, I mean, think so. I, I think hope Elisha so, and I don't, because I have it. enough of them that like I'm monetarily invested. But and then again, I love those cards. I would I mean, love to see more people. Don't you want to draft them? I would them? love to see them in the hands yeah. of more people. So go ahead. Don't you want to draft them? I would love, I would love, love to draft them. Imagine a draft deck with oh Norn. Oh. I, in like multiplayer? Oh, multiplayer draft. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do some <laughs> conspiracy Modern Masters 2 yeah. uh, ma- mashup drafts. That'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to uh, what Dragons of Tarkir is going to do this block. Also, because this is the final block uh, of this of, the, of these three sets. Um, I would also maybe say the World Wake block, but just because it would be really crazy. You mean the Zendikar block? Zendikar block, right. Yeah. yeah, if you just got those giant Eldrazi. I mean, it would just be Eldrazi dominated. But I'm like, now I'm thinking like, wow, this would be really cool because you could like box it in a thing that's just like Rise of the Eldrazi, Magic of the Gathering. Like this is what it's about. You Eldrazi know, it's about is Eldrazi my favorite out. draft yeah. set ever. I, I couldn't argue with you about so it. be just pretty crazy. With those cards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next question from Bruce. What are your favorite spells to cast in each color? <laughs> not, <laughs> not just, just red, Jimmy. Jimmy, I like how he knows you. You were only going to say red spells, but now you can't. Ha <laughs> ha. I don't know if I can what go through every, ca- every color. Yeah. Um, I'll just say some favorite spells to cast then. Yeah, okay. Cyclonic Rift. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Hercules Recall, if I'm going to go Hercules Recall? Yeah, that card wow. is... I didn't see that coming. When it really works, that card blows the table apart. Um, Demonic Tutor? Ah. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, what else? Uh, uh, oh, I went into black. You guys I can't just blue. say red. Shieldred. Shieldred. You know, I will say Insurrection. That's my one red card that I'm going to say. It is, it's yeah. the big daddy of the red cards, yeah. Like the Preators, any one of them... The yeah. blue one, if you have 10 mana, is just bonkers. White one, everybody else's creatures get minus two, minus two. Yeah. Um, Wheel of Fortune. Ah, uh, yep. Okay. Because it has the simultaneous feeling of, like, I draw a bunch of cards, but also everybody else at the table goes, ugh. Yeah, because certainly love I it. just ruined everybody's plans yep. at the yep. same time. Yep, yep. Yeah. 
especially on the build up, like before you have uh, my yeah. mana, you know, you're like, yes, you know, in three turns, I'm going to be able to cast this. And like, yeah, before that, I'm gonna <laughs> cast this. And then it's wheel of Ford. What? No. what? No. Josh, Josh, you're not like, you're kidding, right? Dude, you don't want to do that. Like, like, dude, Darth Vader is your lands. father. I'm sorry, man. You're just, no. <laughs> what is wheel yeah. of fortune cast to play? One red and how many others? That two. is certainly two, color, two oh, and a red. So you can so, do it on so turn three. Cheap. The best thing is if you do it on turn three, sometimes you just mana screw people. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you can just draw the seven-card hand with no mana in it, and you've only dropped two lands, maybe, yeah. and it's just like you could just randomly, which is not the goal of it. I usually don't play it on Josh. turn three, but I like to play You're it on evil. like turn five or six, right when everybody's about to cast their like powerful stuff. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say Blood Moon, then. It's one of my favorite cards Oh, man. Yep, it's the that's, worst. You took it there. We're going. I just you stayed with Red. You don't hate Wheel of Fortune like I hate Blood Moon. It's true. I actually don't mind Wheel of Fortune at all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're always the person at the table that's like, okay, this is cool. Let's yeah. see what I get. Yeah, everyone else is like, no, the best laid plans. I've ah, gone to waste. <laughs> and honestly, let's not forget, what's your favorite like like uh, thing to cast when you're playing your commander? Mm-hmm. Your, your commander. Because yeah, typically true. your deck is based not me. off your commander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, true. You're like the only person I have like that four, that's not true. Yeah, like half my decks, I just almost never cast a commander. <laughs> Maybe not half. Yeah. All right, one last question here from Bruce, and this one is this one's kind of cool. Brainstorm a deck where the commander is replaced by a non-mana artifact, but you can play any colors you want. So you're we're using an artifact that's not a creature. It could be a creature. It just can't be. It can't I be like. I think it needs ring. to be a not creature, non non-mana. That'd rock. be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think there are options for both. But what's the yeah. first thing that comes to mind when you when you think of like an artifact that's not a creature and not a mana rock? Scroll that, rack. That's pretty good because card selection. Yeah, it's but it's card very, draw. It's a very linear kind of thing. You could well, you, your deck you could be anything. With yeah, that. exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's not that. I was thinking the indestructible one. Dark steel plate. Uh, no, the indestructible all artifacts are indestructible. Oh, uh, 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 dark, dark steel, steel forage. I what think. about uh, Akroma's memorial? Ooh, interesting. You That's pretty good. Give theme? your creatures like every yeah. ability ever. That's a pretty good one. I see. I'm mean. My I went to like Ankh of Mishra. <laughs> Which is like all lands do two damage to you when you put them in a play. Or Black Vice might be a good one. Yeah. Black. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? Turn one Black Vice. I'm going to build a Jester's Cap deck. That's what I'm going to do. That's another fact, right? Oh man. That's a really fun little uh, question, though. Uh, I don't know, man. Ankh of Mishra with a bunch of um, uh, land destruction would be just like the, everyone would hate you forever. But what if you could make funny. a land your commander? What land would you make? Oh man. I would do Vesuva. Just could be whatever you want. Yeah, as long as it's in the battlefield. Yeah, that's true. You just never go. You can opt not to go first. Well, you you do like Ink Moth Nexus or Mutavault yeah. or something like that too. Uh, oh, strip Mine. True. Strip Mine, yeah. I mean, Library oh, of Alexandria. Call. It's banned, right? Oh, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, there you go. Atelier and the Oh, that's banned too. <laughs> Darn. Darn. All right, well, thanks for the questions, Bruce. Next up, we got some questions from Triumph. Is that your real name? Because that's pretty cool. You're at Historian327, which is crazy because my lucky number combination is 328. Well, not from that. But it's because March 28th. It's uh, my birthday. My birthday. My birthday. It'd be weird if it was just March 28th for a different reason than just, that. Yeah, like I just love March, and uh, 28 was like an appealing number at the time. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right, take it away, Abby. When you have a big old list of cards that could go in a deck, what are some tips for narrowing it down? Oof. Well, this could be a whole podcast. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. playtesting is really important. Just, you know, play, literally but play you have with to narrow card. it down to test it. 
So True. print them out. There are places that you can go online and print out, you know, the cards or just rip up pieces of paper, put them in there and write down the card that it is. And as long as you know what the card does, like wait, uh, I don't like think these this guys is, are saying play test. Yeah, I don't think this is as far as deciding which ones to buy. Right. Well, I mean, it could be just like if you want yeah. to play test it and you I have just a list think he online means like, somewhere. I, I want to include all these cards in my deck. How do I determine which ones actually go in there? And which I always one? just stare at, yeah, I stare at them and then try and like put down a list of which one, how many creatures, how many enchantments, you know, what, where's my graveyard recursion? Mm-hmm. What, what does each card do? Yeah, I and, think that's really smart. Yeah. What I do is I usually say, well, what's the deck trying to do? So let's say it's Carador and I need a certain amount of cards that are going to put things into the graveyard or a certain amount of things that are going to get things out of the graveyard or whatever. Like, you know, if it's Nekusar, I need a certain amount of card draw and I need a certain amount of, you know, cards that do damage to you when everybody or do damage to everybody when they draw those cards. And then I just want to have all those columns and I want to see like how many of each of those columns mm-hmm. I have. Like the stop hitting yourself deck I just built. Like, well, I need a certain amount of creatures that do stuff if they get hit. Then I need a certain amount of stuff that hits those creatures. Right. And then I need... Every deck needs mana ramp and card draw. I usually like to have at least 10 in each of those categories. Yeah. So then you start going, okay, well, really, when you get down to it, I've only got 10 or 12 cards that I really can play with. And then it's like, okay, do I want Swords to Plowshares or do I want Mortify? Right. And you just start making those choices. Also laying it out and seeing where the mana costs are could be helpful. Yeah. And also seeing if there's redundancy when you don't necessarily need it. So if you have all these cards that, like token generation is really easy just to go overboard put all the token generators in there but you don't actually need all of them you know choose the ones that work the best and have either the most modal uses like lingering souls i think is like an auto include just because it has flashback you know that's way better than um just creating two one ones for one instant you know like so make sure that you're optimizing where you can and don't be afraid to cut cards either and don't be afraid to think about those cut cards when you're playing with your final list and asking yourself should i have cut that maybe i should try it and you know, go back to it, but don't be afraid to cut cards. Otherwise, you're just going to be looking at this list forever. Like, be liberal in your cuts, especially if you're trying to get it down to 100 just to make a playable deck. And then from there, you can ask yourself the questions about whether or not you wanted one of those other cards that maybe you removed. Yeah, I really think the first like seven to ten times you play the deck, your your brain should mostly, even more than trying to win the game, be saying like, okay, how does this feel? What do I wish I had in my hand? What am I have in my hand that feels like it's not doing a lot? And just making mental notes so that you can... And then it's not like you play the deck once and you start making those changes. You play the deck five times and you say, well, every t- all five of those games, I wished that I had more card draw. Okay, yeah. I need more card draw probably. Or all five of those games, I wish that I had more mana. Okay, I need more mana ramp then. Or all five of those games, blah, blah, blah. So that's another way and a really smart way to continue to tune it. Yeah, definitely. All right, Triumph's second question. That's two high fives for you, bud, is... How do you decide when a card is absolutely too weak to be EDH playable versus being specialized but playable in the right deck? I think a lot of cards fall into the category of it's not playable unless it's playable in the right deck for Commander specifically because there's so many cards that are just based off your general. Like Land Sacking, for instance, would not be very viable in that many decks unless you're playing Titania. Yeah. You know, like it's much more useful in one deck than the other. Uh, this is, it feels like this always changes. It's, it's definitely dependent on the card and you just need to think about it in the world of the deck and if it's just like a fringe card that needs another card to go off in the deck and you have 99 singleton cards like then it may not be playable at all but if it's playable with your general and you know that you can get use out of it but it's just kind of weak in other decks then you have a card that is specialized good 
I think you know by comparing it to the other cards you're thinking about putting into the deck. It's like you said about Lingering Souls, right? Right. If you compare that to Raise the Alarm... That's, yeah, that's the card I was thinking. Yeah, then all of a sudden, it's pretty clear. Lingering Souls is just better most of the time, you know, because in Commander, we're not so worried about mana cost. And so the fact that it costs a little bit more mana is mitigated by the fact that you can actually use it twice and cast it out of your graveyard. So, you know, that's what happens is when you start laying them out like Craig suggested earlier, where you're laying them into like their little columns of like what role they're filling, then you compare each card within the column to the other cards in there and say, oh, okay, well, these three just seem better than the other ones. So I want to use only the best ones in each column. Yeah. And Craig, if it says infect on it, then it's playable, right? Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. Our next question is from Aaron Glock at a Glock. Easy. It's weird because the seek and the K seem to be out of order, but that's that's was how that it your, is. Was that that is that's how it is? Yeah, no, I I'm sure you asked your question yourself the same question yeah. when you typed it out yeah. the first time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, take it away. How do you build a deck around its color weakness? For example, no counters or board wipes. This artifacts. is a very good question. Yeah, artifacts. Artifacts are your solve all for this. Um, in general, it is like like the big things like hard draw or sometimes just straight removal like spine of Ishsa or whatever. I think the three areas that you're going to be the most need for are board wipes, mm-hmm. card draw, and mana ramp. And card draw and mana ramp you need in every single deck, and board wipes you need in almost every single deck. And yeah. artifacts cover you pretty well in all those areas. You've got yeah. Nev's Disc. Nev's Disc, Perilous Vaults. Uh, Oblivion Stone. Oblivion Stone. Yeah. Those are your board wipes from artifacts. You've got Mind's Eye. You've got, you know, scroll Howling rack. Mind, Font of Mithros, Scroll Rack, Sensei's Divining Top. You also have uh, Consume the Meek, I believe, is colorless. The Eldra- or is it? It's one of the Eldrazi spells. That's a board wipe. All is, du- uh, all is dust. Yeah, all is dust. All I think is, is dust. colorless. Yeah. And then you have tons of Worn Power Stone, Thran Dynamo, Gilded Lotus, Soul Ring, yeah. uh, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, like a ton of uh, Mana Rocks, uh, Chromantic mm-hmm. Lantern. You know, we can go on forever. And yeah. those areas are just ne- necessary in every deck. And then like counter spells. Every deck doesn't need counter spells. Yeah. Exactly. So just there, because there you're are in other red, ways to counter quote unquote their stuff without actually countering it when it gets put on the battlefield. Yeah, you think of what a counter does, it just negates a card. Hmm. Well, Path to Exile negates a card too. So does Swords to Plowshares. Right. Like that's sort of a counter in a way it's just it's it's slightly, slightly narrow delayed. that yeah. it counters only a creature and counter spell counters any spell. But you know, those are the ways that you sort of simulate hmm. that effect. And in the big picture of this, too, building a deck around its color weakness, I think you just, in general, don't want to build your deck with a weakness that is easy to exploit that you can't appropriately deal with within your deck as well. So. Well, it's smart to know that the colors have weaknesses, mm-hmm. and you need to cover them. So if you're not careful, it's very easy to build a mono-red deck that just, mm-hmm. if somebody puts an enchantment out, you can never destroy it. So you need to be aware of it so that you can put the cards in from outside, yeah. you know, from the artifacts, usually, that do those things. All right. I, next. Oh, oh, I recognize huh? this guy too because he. Oh has, yes, that's right. I think he's won before. You're gonna get a second prize from us. Congrats for asking a great question, MTG Mindslaver at Nicholas Pizer. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced that right. Um, yes, you have asked this. I believe I believe you have won before. So congrats. And the question is also a fun one. It is. How do you tell a friend their commander is too OP? Uh, I think you just tell them. Or, I mean. Or in a way that's reasonable because there are, like, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Like, uh, someone being too OP, it's like at the same time, you're responsible for that person being that overpowered. And there are ways to build your decks so that this isn't an issue. At the same time, if someone is truly dominating, perhaps, like, the, the 
the game too much with something, then it becomes a matter of etiquette and just sort of having civil discussion between you and the person. And that's a much, that's like a very broad area. Like I don't know how much how I can really instruct you on how to talk It's hard to because, else. you know, without knowing the people and everybody's personality, I mean, you literally the answer is sort of like it depends on the person that you're yeah. approaching. But I would say there are some good guidelines. One is it's really it's really going to be tempting to approach somebody right after they've done the OP thing that sort of made you mad. And that's probably not a good time to do it because... Yeah, when the fire's hot. It's just not going to look like you're being reasonable. It's going to look like... Like if they just did something when Infinite killed you and you go, you're... Your commander's too overpowered. Yeah, that's crazy. It's that's hard to dumb. take you seriously in that moment because you've just lost to it. So it's a lot better to sort of in a moment where you're not playing magic before the game or or when you just see them someplace else and just be like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And just be... Then it's, it's very hard not to take someone seriously in that instance right. where they're coming to you and they're just saying, dude, you know... It might be a little too powerful. It's not. It's not super fun to play against. Like, yeah. You know that. It's. I will take you way more seriously if you're not saying it directly after I beat you. It's true. Yeah, I would say beforehand is usually the best idea. Yeah. If you can see them, you know, putting it out, and then you could be like, "Hey, man, mind like not playing that? I brought you know my mid range deck. I I don't think yeah. it's going to be much of a game for me. Or you like, know, yeah. Or it's like I'd listen, appreciate I don't have a deck it if that... you could play something else. Yeah. Yeah. Does somebody like, else have a deck? And it could be like, that the commander's not OP, or it's just that they're always going infinite. You know, you could say, like, how do you tell someone that blank is blank? Yeah. You know, like, this go, goes across sort of everything. And and like Craig said, it's, it's, it's a matter of just being like, hey, I'm trying to test out something. Or like, hey, like, this guy's playing for the first time. Or like, hey, so-and-so just doesn't want to play as much, and I really want them to play commander. So, like, is there any other deck that you can bring out? Or is there any way to uh, just, you know, is there something that else that appeals to you as a deck? builder or whatever whatever you want to play that could also be fun for you and still offer you the chance to win the way you like to but also you know makes it a little more fun for the people that are getting into the game right now yeah but again changes with every situation i think the key though is to communicate with the person be honest about it do it in the right moment but don't wait because what happens is if you say nothing then the resentment just continues to grow right and when you eventually do inevitably sort of confront them about it yeah then you're going to do it in the worst manner like it's not good to be like to just yell at somebody all of a sudden. You to know? pent up, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be much better to just take it at a reasonable time, at a reasonable tone, just, you know, tell them, you know, honestly. Yeah. And I would also but not say in a moment of anger. Yeah, it's not about the player. It's not about the cards. It's yeah. about the game. So just don't, you know, don't direct your attention like, you are a bad person. Yeah, exactly. You are doing this. Yeah, yeah exactly. You right. can, you know, I it's, like to use phrases like, dude, I totally know why you play that. It's super powerful. It looks fun to play, but... You know, it's not that fun to play against. I'm a little, I'm getting a little bored of it. You know, yeah, do you think yeah. we can try something else? Yeah. Uh, I like Mindslaver's second question because it is very uh, Vorthosy to his name. So the question is, what is your favorite thing to say to get people either confused or on your side? Ooh. Little, oh, uh, man, trickery. I'm scared to say things because you guys, I play with both of you all the time. It's true. Reveal your secrets, Josh. Um, t- the things I, I do for this podcast. Notes. Well, I think something that, generally works almost every time is and it works in poker too although you have to be less obvious about it is just seeming disappointed with the way things are going at all times at yeah. all times yeah it's just sort of sighing and just being like, uh, uh. every time you but draw your card of course yeah you have to be careful there's a there's a way there's like a nice little wheelhouse where you're in but you guys have seen me do it um all the time, which is just like, you never are like, oh my God, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. You just never, ever, ever, literally 100% of the time, never do that. You yeah. always are like, 
Okay. I can't help it. I wear my heart on my yeah, sleeve. Yeah, Cray is the it. master of oh like... Oh my God. When I get the car that I'm looking for, my face like lights yep. up. You can see Craig and he starts looking at everybody's yeah. stuff and his <laughs> eyes are like super wide and his head's like snapping. You know, it's not like slowly glancing at you. He's like, snap to that guy, snap to that guy, snap to that guy. And it's like, uh-oh, somebody's going to be in big trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas like, I'm the exact opposite. I'm always like shoulders slumped, just looking down. Just like, oh man, how am I going to get out of this one? And the best you is know? when you get like, from me, I'm like, how's it looking over there? And Josh, you're like, ah, not good. Because then without even having to like say it yourself, you just yep. told the whole table and yeah. everyone kind of, it's like, it sits just in people's see, memories. Yeah. You know? And you just seem like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, oh God, I... <sighs> You draw your card and you're just like. Ah, ah. I remember you said like I was like, oh man, it's not good, and you had played the same number of lands as everyone else. Yeah, but it was like five colors, so I was like, I guess it's kind of acceptable that <laughs> yeah, you can exactly. say that, even though you have the same number of lands. But like, ah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I just generally, I mean, I don't even think about it now. It's just an instinct, but it's like you just generally never at any point seem like you're in command. Do you right. do this in poker as well? Um, in poker, you have to be a lot more careful. Yeah, uh, poker is different, and and it. acting strong in poker is oftentimes thing, yeah. in your advantage. So in poker, right, you have to sort of be a lot more cognizant of it because in in EDH it's almost never to your advantage to be to act really strong. Every right. once in a while it is, you have to bluster a little, but it's w- much more rare. Whereas in, in poker, a lot of times the right play is to make your bet in the most confident manner that you can because you actually want people to fold. Yeah, you're pushing people out of the pot. Yeah, you're not even necessarily bluffing. You just, you know, it's just better for you if they fold. Yeah. Sort of like you had to walk head tilted forward as opposed to backwards when you're playing poker. Yes. Good, All well right. Put. Next question comes from Jonanho at at Jonanho11. How do you feel about stores having EDH FNMs? Do you think it will work? And how would you approach it as a player? This is an excellent question. Uh, Helen Brajot of the director of, I guess, I don't know their Competitive exact something play, or other. Yeah, uh, announced that FNMs are gonna, you now open to lots of formats and Commander uh, A whole EDH, bunch of them, yeah. Yeah, is one of those formats. Um, Two-headed giant, all sorts of other fun stuff. And it's great. This encourages the kitchen table aspect of the game. It gets people together to have a good time together, which is good for just things in general because people are happy, product is being sold, and the game of Magic is getting bigger. It's tough though because EDH I feel like is not conducive to what FNM as we know it mm-hmm. is. You know, um FNM as we know it is a place where you go and it's not super competitive but it has a pretty big competitive aspect and usually there are prizes. You know, generally at the end of the night somebody gets some booster packs or whatever. And it costs money to com- to play it as well. Costs money to play. Um and this is tough in EDH because you know, EDH is built around the board game aspect and the multiplayer aspect, and there can be a real, like, a lot of feel-bads happen when you get teamed up on, mm-hmm. and this actually encourages it. Uh, it encourages collusion, and what collusion is that's different than an alliance in the game, a collusion is if you, if let's say the three of us went to the store and we said, listen, they're doing four-player pods we're just going to team up on the other guy and make sure one of us wins, you know, Yeah. because there are prizes involved now and that hurts the integrity of what EDH is. And so I think the way for FNM to work, and this isn't perfect, but it's probably participation based mm. more than you won. Cause right. you can't say who won. No, I think if, from the papers that I've seen of how these things work, it is largely point based and it's more, 
it's not if you kill five people fast. It's, you know, you get points for doing certain things. So. Yeah, point systems are interesting, but they subvert the game too. Yeah. Right? Because right. they it, change naturally. Like, because the way to play EDH, quote unquote, naturally is to use the political aspect of it. Right. But that's in a game where everyone is playing the same game. So there wouldn't right. be collusion before the game. Like, there'd be no advantage for me bringing my three friends and just agreeing before it ever starts that no matter what, we're going to kill, we're going to team up and kill whoever. Yep. You know, it's saying that as if everybody at the table didn't know each other and never knew each other coming in and wouldn't have any reason to, you know, have any history together. You know, that's what makes it really tough. So point systems, I think, are imperfect because they're trying to corral something that you shouldn't be able to corral, which is pol politics. Yeah, it's very hard to make EDH a game that works in a competitive sense. Uh, that's, that's why quote-unquote fair. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, I think 1v1 EDH would be very simple to police and make sure it works well. Once again, to so the... But then it's not really EDH, is it? Yeah, it's, secret it's, partners. If they add secret partners to it, you it's know, just hard to quantify though. Like who do... wins and how does that person win? And can someone that doesn't be that isn't the last person standing win? Because with a point system, that could actually be the case, right? Like you could have enough points potentially by doing other stuff that you're declared the quote unquote winner of a game. I think it. I think in a lot of ways, it actually limits the kind of deck building too. Because yeah. if you're really focused on like, for instance, the highest way you can get points is by killing another opponent, then that's going to be the focus of all your decks, and it, you're going to have a very different meta than is previous, like has been maybe just established by just playing for fun at your local game store. So I would be very careful if you're an LGS that you don't mix the competitive with the social part of, of EDH too much. And I know there are people with competitive edges that want to play the game competitively. I think just as a player and as a story, you should approach it in a way that there's a clear separation of the two, and that you're not rewar overly rewarding someone for doing something that may not be healthy for the store or for the players and the mentality that they have towards the game. Yeah, it's just very easy to game the system when you start putting a bunch of rules yeah. and, and ways on how EDH and the multiplayer aspect works. I, I, I would think participation-based is probably the way yeah. to go. And it may just be like... If you play in four F and M's, you get enough points to get a couple booster packs or something, you know? And yeah, that'd, just, be, that'd be interesting. You yeah. know, that's the way to go. Or, you know, but then people want the competitive side of it. You don't mm -hmm. want like, you know, well, then what am I playing for? What am I even trying to win? So I, yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, um, it also comes be... down to like, how much money can you spend on your deck to now like beat on other right. people? Like, the money curve there does actually. You know, because if somebody only has enough money to create like a mediocre deck yeah. and they're showing up every Friday and like trying to win, but they can't, you know, it's, yep. a, it's much different when you're opening up the cards there and you have to build your deck versus when you are bringing... Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. but standard works, modern works, standard legacy modern, works. Yeah. You know, but those have natural competitive ways that they're meant to be played because mm -hmm. I'm playing one on one. We both agree to the same rules coming in. EDH is just so much variance from that because now it's like, well, I'm playing, but if I can convince Jimmy to team up with me, then it's a totally different game. And if I can, if I know Jimmy before I walk into the store, then it's much easier to do that. And so all of a sudden, like certain people have way more advantage coming in. Yeah. It's just, it's a really sticky wicket. I don't know yeah. what the... It's tough too, because I think stuff like legacy tournaments fall into the same category. Sometimes people can out money someone else for something. And there's just yeah. other weird restrictions when you have an eternal format. Yeah. So I think it's going to be tricky ground. And I hope, I hope there are some success stories at local game stores. Hopefully that, somebody figures it out. You know, yeah, me I personally, really great. I don't tend to want to have any desire to play EDH competitively like that. I'll play draft or sealed competitively. And I play EDH with my friends. And, you know, with strangers we meet, 
but we're not playing for anything. I think once there are stakes, EDH is kind of not a great format. See, and I, yeah. I know a card shop down in Santa Monica that uh, has been doing uh, EDH League for a while that they, you know, they do it the point system and then uh, at the end they do points for, they do raffles and, uh, you know, give players certain, uh, you know, credits to the store for a certain amount of points and it's worked for them for a while and, uh, you know, I'm, I love it. I love playing EDH. So, yep. you know, being rewarded for playing EDH sounds great to me. <laughs> that's right. So also if you guys, you know, if you are part of a game store, that's trying to do something cool and fresh and maybe is the innovative way to do it. Let us know. Cause I, I want to know, I want to find out because I'm always interested in this sort of game design stuff and game experience stuff. Um, all right, moving on. We have a question from Mike Murphy at Gonzo Papa. I think that's my favorite Twitter <laughs> name so far. <laughs> that's pretty that's sweet. Awesome. Uh, and the question is, what is an effective mana base for a commander deck, and how important are fetch lands in the format? Well, effective mana base, I would say that most people play too few lands. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see a lot or hear about a lot of 33 land decks. Oh, my worth, gosh. Yeah. Out of um, 100? Yeah. Ugh. Because the old, 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 old uh, um, sort of standard operating procedure was one-third of your deck should be lands. Mm-hmm. But I th- feel like that's sort of a little bit antiquated and also it's so bad in commander to have a game where you don't draw lands it's yeah. worse than other formats because our games are longer so yeah, you're in a standard a game cycle. if you're playing standard with your friend or playing competitively even at least if you get mana screwed you're done you're, you're just done in five minutes like mm-hmm. you're just done very quickly in commander you can have a game where you're mana screwed and literally be sitting there for 45 48 minutes where you just can't do anything and that sucks it's just it, it's not even about winning at that point. It's just like, what am I even doing? Yeah, this like, is not. A, I'm not actually playing the game right yeah, now. Yeah, so I think it's better to err on the side. And and my decks almost always have 37 to 38 lands. Yep, mm-hmm. I always do 36 to 37. Yeah, and every once in a while I'll go 36, 35, but that's only if I have like 12 to, th- to yep. 15 mana ramp cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and even with 37 lands... 38 lands, I'll still have at least 10 mana ramp cards. Oh, of course. So that yeah. means that almost half my deck is is mana. Yeah. 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 So, and then as far as the fetch lands part of the question, it's I interesting. I just started running fetch lands. And I, so if you're running like in my Rafik deck, fetch lands are fantastic. I'm, a, I'm able to cast Rafik when I want to cast them. I don't have to wait for my mana base to match up, you know, on fifth turn instead of on turn four. Um, so if you're going to cast your commander as soon as possible, like Jimmy, your deck where uh, you get your commander out and then you start putting counters on them and creatures cost that much less. Oh, Animar. Yeah. Animar. You know, you like you want to get him out ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. And fetch lands are fantastic for that. Yeah. But, you know, in uh, in Carador, I do have my fetch lands in that, but that's because I'm also running uh, a uh, Crucible pa- package that just helps me fix up my mana base if you know, a blood moon or something is thrown because I want that to be as consistent as possible. Yeah, if you want to talk about fetch lands, I'd say look to what modern does uh, because fetch lands specifically let you look for a certain land type. So let's say mountain or swamp with bloodstained mire. And in that case, usually uh, you can get 
a mountain or a swamp, but you can also get, for instance, um, shock, lands. shock lands from Return to Zendikar. Well, we can get dual lands. Yes, and you can also get dual lands as well. So if you look at modern, they're always grabbing shock lands and stuff, and that really does help fix your mana base up. So fetch lands are important. You're not gonna, they're not going to be the dominating part of your mana base, but if you are able to search up dual land shock lands from that, and I think that's the most affordable and uh, well, the, shock lands are dual lands aren't right. Dual and, lands aren't, but I think I mean I think shock lands are the most going to be the most common option for most players. Yeah. And there are also other unique uh, mountains and forests, especially right. and you know uh, all of the different uh, basic land types. There are special lands that they've made over the years that uh, have those basic land types. But you know, have some other special ability as well, so you right. can search those up. Yeah, I mean, fetch lands are good. How important are they for the format, though? I I feel like, you know, I feel like land is like I'm fine playing guild gates. I'm yeah. fine playing refuges. You know, they're just, they're, they're just not great lands in general. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be played in standard or the vivid lands or something. And stuff, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because usually it feels like commander doesn't come down to that precise of like if i don't have my eighth mana on turn eight available to me i lose Mm -hmm. it's just not that kind of format generally so being a turn slow doesn't tend to matter too much i mean obviously if you want to optimize fetch lines are great yeah but a lot of times being not optimized is in your favor Mm -hmm. i think because you're less scary yeah and i think fetch lines are really just important if you're running like five color because then you want to have the option to get the land that really helps you out the most you know, to get that dual land. Cause yeah, he, the great thing in in like Chromat is like something that fetches a plains or an island literally mm-hmm. fetches me any color I want. Yeah, exactly. Like yep. a Bloodstained Mire can get you two colors that aren't even close to it. Like you can get Steam Vents because you can get red yeah. with it. So I you, mean, you can get Badlands, Underworld, uh, Sea, Bayou. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get, you know, any you can basically get any color Yeah, with and, your red or with your black. So. Yeah, and you need to get specific if you're running like a five-color deck. All right, Mike Murphy's second question is... Where do you get your deck-building ideas from? I'd like to say I get it from a lot of from, of it from Reddit and EDH, r slash r EDH, r slash EDH, whatever, and r slash Magic TCG, because cards pop up, ideas pop up all the time. I also get a lot of ideas from just you guys. Playing around you dudes has helped me just like think of combinations I wouldn't have, and interactions I wouldn't have thought of otherwise, introduces me to new cards, helps me build a lot. Yeah, playing with friends, uh, tappedout.net, my God, like tapped out. I've watched, I've looked at that so many times when I'm building a deck. Um, and then but that's just, when you already started. How do, what gets you started? Uh, gets, what gets me started building a deck is, you know, I'll, I'll find a general that I'm, that I'm interested in. And then the first thing that I actually will do will be go to tapped out, mm-hmm. see how mm-hmm. other people have built it. Then, uh, you know, if, if I've played against it though with you guys, obviously that'll play into it. And when I'm walking around my local, uh, you know, card store, just looking in the uh, in the window and seeing what they got, you know, that's always interesting too. So, can yeah, spark some ideas. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know how to answer it. I don't. That was actually how I got uh, into Grand Arbiter. I saw yeah. it at uh, my local it. card oh, cool. shop, and I was like, "Wow!" Yeah, yeah holy I, I think mother. that's how I, that's where I get my ideas, or how I start is like I don't actually actively. I I don't think I've ever just been like I'm going to build a deck. You know what I mean? Like, I think I've always just like, as I'm sort of looking at new cards as the new set comes out, or I'm looking at, you know, going through old cards, building another deck. A lot of times, well, this happens all the time, actually, is like, I'll be building, putting together a deck, like the Stop Hitting Yourself deck I Mm -hmm. I put together recently. And I'm just going through a bunch of cards, you know, and I just have this box of cards that are like cards I want to use somewhere someday. 
And so at the end of, like, I've got a list, I've got all the stuff I want to put in this deck, and then I pull out that box, and I just go through it and see if there's anything in there that I want to put in the Stop Hitting Yourself deck. And as mm-hmm. I'm doing that, I'll be like, come across this card. And then there'll be some card like Arcbond from Fate Reforged. Oh, gosh, Arcbond. You know, or something like that, and I'll be like, oh, that card just came out. This card I've always wanted to use. Okay, put those two together, and then I start, you know, all the possibilities start swirling, and then yeah. I start going. It's a possibility you know, Then I chase the rabbit hole from there. So I think that it's really just about letting that spark organically come. Josh found this Planeswalker spark, and uh, <laughs> the deck builder within him launched into uh, launched into to action. That's um, why whenever that happens, I end up building the deck in like a week and ordering all the cards. Because right. It's, it's like, like when a that's, fever dream, right? Yeah, it's just like this flame, and it's this... It's this fire, and it's gonna burn out really fast. And I just want—I need to take advantage of it, otherwise. Yeah. Well, yeah. you got to burn out the fire or your wallet, one or the other, or both. Usually <laughs> both. Definitely. All right. Our next question comes from Ken Schlosser, and this might take the title for my new favorite. This Twitter is name. an awesome Twitter name. It's at Cephalid Sushi. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Does it have a tide counter on it? The sushi comes <laughs> with a tide counter. Yeah, <laughs> and it's delicious. Oh man, I'm, it's making me hungry. All right, the question. Should I invest in making one deck that I'm really happy with or diversify and make many decks that maybe aren't as complete? I mean, <laughs> how, much, how, much, how much do you want to spend? Because if you make a few decks that you aren't that happy with, guess what? You're going to be spending your next paycheck to make yourself happier with the decks. Right. That's a really good point. So, yeah. you know, like how much do you really want to spend? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, I like seeing it as like don't if you if you if you want to play commander, you want to build some decks. Like obviously, if you ask this question, I think there's someone in you is also going like I want to build more decks so I can have more commanders. But I don't know how should I, how I should spend. I'd say start off with one deck, you know, or start off with a pre-con and then go from there. Um, and or, once you finish your first deck and get it kind of close, then I think you should start thinking about your second and third decks because I feel like the best decks. Instead of making a bunch at once, I feel like the the way that you're going to make the best decks is or if you is if you make a deck in one color pie specifically, you're going to want to make a deck in another branch of it, and I think that will allow you to diversify your commander portfolio a lot better because you're used to playing one deck and maybe you want to try something else out. I think that's going to help you out. But there's this moment I think that comes for everybody, especially when you build that first deck where you're you're faced with the question, and the question is, I have a limited amount of money to invest in this hobby Mm -hmm. and I can invest that money either continuing to perfect what I've got or I can let that sit and I can start something new and that question really launch off is hard to answer without knowing what your personality is but both are okay you know it's just what do you want do you want one very powerful deck or do you want a couple sort of slightly less powerful decks. Right. You know, and that's what's going to happen at first. And then you can have two decks and then you that question comes again. And <laughs> the question is, do I want one two powerful decks or do I want one of these decks to become more powerful or do I want a third? And we can tell from the way that this question's phrased, this person's a spike. I mean, they they want one <laughs> powerful deck. Yeah. And and I think there are advantages to having a second deck. And Absolutely. The, and the advantages are they don't know what deck you're playing in. The advantage also is hey, listen, one deck's really oppressively powerful and the other one's not. Yeah. And you can sort of negotiate with your playgroup, or not negotiate, but it's an olive branch, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I beat you twice with this deck. Okay, I'll pull up my not-so-powerful deck. We'll have fun. Uh, right, and no, one's gonna, no one and might hold a grudge against you for exactly. that. Exactly. It's, like uh, it's like the pressure meter. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you let some air out so the pressure goes back down. And, right. and then you play your oppressive deck and the pressure meter is getting back there. It's oh, getting see, into the I'm red. Gonna, I'm going to recommend then, something else. I'm going to recommend go for the deck you want, make the, make the powerful deck, and then with 20 extra dollars, make a black and green Glissa the Traitor infect deck. <laughs> with non-foils, just basic instants and you know, and commons. You're a monster, Craig. You are a monster. You'll you don't want two, anybody to like this. You'll guy. have two unbelievably powerful decks and that no you friends. can just beat face <laughs> every time. It's okay. Gliss is my friend now. She's my best friend. Yeah. Here's the thing. I actually believe having a, not, a, a deck that's not as powerful and playing that sometimes and and giving that to your playgroup mm-hmm. actually will make your win percentage go up. That's right. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that too. But uh, I say I forget that. Yeah. <laughs> no, never. We've got too much experience playing with you, Craig, to know that you would ever mean any different. Um, our next question comes from Jeff Hlutke. Hlutke or Hluk? I could see it being pronounced a number of ways. It's a tough one. I yeah. don't know. Uh, but and, his Twitter name is uh, easier. Yeah, at Falcon Jeff. Um, and Millennium his, Falcon? Millennium Falcon. I'm, I'm just going to assume. So. Yeah. Or Falcon Punch, like Captain Falcon. Millennium Falcon's cooler. Yeah, it is cooler and, <laughs> and much faster. Uh, all right, his question is, How do you approach playing with different power level playgroups? My meta at home is very different than my meta at school. Uh, different decks is one good different way to is, do yeah. it. It's and the, another the way is just one. to make those sort of like um, those game time decisions, as yeah. it were. It's just like, oh, this is this meta is a lot weaker. I'm just not going to play this card. Yeah, I have just, it in my hand, and I'll just pretend I mulliganed. Or yeah, or just if you draw it in your opening hand, you can mulligan in a way that's gonna con- be more conducive to a just less aggressive, you know, meta or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. In that case, yeah, always remember that you control if you're OP or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. You can just choose not to play cards. Right. Yeah, yeah, I you mean, can turn your. You've done that. You can a few put times. a handicap. I can't on do it. I, can't I do it all bring the time. Myself I, to not play. We it were playing this up. game with. Um, the guys from the Masters of Modern podcast, we played mm-hmm. them a lot. And I was playing my Nekusar deck, and I had all the stuff out that everyone was drawing a ton of cards. And Kessler's sitting to the right of me, and he's just having a ball. He has <laughs> he has um, he has Reliquary Tower out. Oh yeah. He has Consecrated Sphinx out. I'm making him draw like everybody draw like a ton of cards. Plus, I have Teferi's Puzzle Box out. So what that means is he literally has 50 cards in his hand. And every turn, he exchanges that for the 50 cards in his deck. So yeah. he's seeing his entire deck every other turn, whichever cards he wants. He's just he's just having the time of his life. I'm sitting there. I'm staring at all the cards that will kill him for having all those cards in his hand. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> I'm just gonna, he's having too much fun. I'm just going to let him, let him be. do this thing. Yeah, he because, does love this game so yeah, much, Yeah, and it's too. like, hey, are they your friends? Yeah. Because if they're your friends, then them having fun should be like that should make you happy. And if that does, yeah. then there are going to be times when you're like, you know what? He, they're ball. having a fun. It doesn't matter if I win this game or not. It's you know my self worth is won, my self worth is not tied up in whether I win this game of EDH or Commander. And it just feels so much better to just look over there and the guy's just having fun. He's playing all this stuff. And he's doing crazy stuff, and you're mm. just like you. You just kill everybody, man. You do it. And the thing is, like, that's what brought me into the game originally was that feeling, that sort of joy of being able to do stuff and doing fun stuff and doing the stuff that you've spent money and time investing in this deck to do that. So, I mean, I think I, I love the idea of 
playing with a more relaxed meta because I think that just in general can make you a better, I don't know, a human being in general because you get to, you know, have joy at other people having joy, which is yeah, exactly. a wonderful thing. I've said this many times, like uh, when someone's about to go off and the other people want to concede and I'm like, don't, don't concede. Let him do the thing, yeah, especially man. especially if he's never yeah. done it before. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know. Just he, he came up with an idea. He looked cards up on the internet. He went on tapped out and looked at everybody else who built the same deck and he did, built it better and he's about to finally put this four-card combination that he had in Magical Christmas Land in his head into play, and you're going to concede on him? Come on, what kind of friend are you, man? Let him do the thing. Yeah, because if you were in his case, you would want other people to let you do the thing as well. Yeah, it's know? like people want to like take it away from you. They want to concede so that you don't beat them, yeah. so you don't do the thing, so you don't have that pleasure. Why? Yeah, why? What does it cost you to let them have that? Well, it costs you losing for but a you little bit if, longer yeah. than had it's you. Just, yeah, it's true. It is very. I just silly. don't get that. Just just get outside of yourself for a few minutes. Like, I think the the also the more you've played it, just games in general, and you have those moments yourself, and you understand what it's like to be on both ends of the spectrum. I think you'll you will eventually sort of grow into that in general. I I feel like the more you play games, and the more especially stuff that's politics based, because you understand what it means to hold a grudge over a long time. You understand what it means to like sabotage something and. You'll understand at that at the right moments when to let other people have their candy. Let them have their candy. Yeah, exactly. Don't steal the candy from the baby. Come on, guys. All right. Next up, we have a question from Andre, Andreu. Andreu Fernandez. I almost said it with a French accent at first, <laughs> and that was not correct. At a fairies. What special rules would you recommend to set up in a group to avoid games becoming too long or one-sided? I don't like special rules. I think it's all dependent. I'm okay with a special rule as long as it really makes sense and there's a good justification for it. For instance, a seven-player game, you have a two-minute time limit. That's a special rule that I can live with. Yeah. yeah. Even when we played seven players, though, we didn't say two minutes. We just right. said, listen, guys, everyone's going to have to play fast, okay? Or secret partners can also speed up games a lot. That's mm -hmm. true. I don't know if that's a special rule. It is. A, it's we keep it threatening. Rules We're going to gonna definitely do a special partners like episode. Yeah, secret partners, for yeah, sure. I, it's Here's awesome. the thing I think of as special rules, though. It's just like sort of fly-by-night, shoot-from-the-hip type rules that you're oh, just making right. up. Like, you go, listen, you're not a game designer. Mm -hmm. Your rule's not going to be balanced. Like, I just, in general, don't, don't like... It feels like in the old, like, StarCraft days when people used to, like, play, like... I don't know if you guys played StarCraft, but there was always these people, and they would play, like, no rush for 15 minutes, only on this oh, map, right. blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. it's just not the game. Like, that's just training wheels like it's knock true. it off and in the end that's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you yeah. because yeah. you're going to learn to play in a certain way that's not how the rest of the world plays and you want to be able to go to gps and play with people if and somebody... go to the local gaming stores or sit down with jimmy and i someday you know if you run into us and play games with us and if you're not playing by the same rules we can't do it but if somebody is dirtling like for 20 minutes while everybody else is taking their like you know five minute turns it can that's be... not a rule though right. that's a like true. hey dude yeah it's not any fun Right. Like, will you please just speed it up? Right. <laughs> that's not a rule. And I think, but like, yeah. is there anything that you can say when something like that's going on, or like, what can you do when? It's about having like, like that conversation we talked about in the the prior episode, and it's just something you have to address with. Yeah. People, I feel like. Just have yeah, to and have again, that open communication. You need to do it at the right point in time. It's the same thing. Yeah. You right. don't do it in the middle of the game or right after they've lost or whatever. You just you know you know this is happening with the same person over and over. Yeah. You got, you just go like, hey, listen. 
we want to play a few games tonight. Let's just make sure everybody moves fast. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then when he's taking a while, you're like, dude, we needed to move fast, remember? And the, then they'll usually yeah. do it. And that's the special rule is that we can ask other players it's not a reasonably. Rule. Yeah. The, what's the quote unquote in the air? It's an tonight. agreement. Yeah. It's an agreement. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a player's agreement. Um, and I'd say the other thing is like, there are some groups I know that like, hey, uh, I have four friends. We've all talked about getting into magic, but we've never done it before. We're all going to get in and we're all going to just limit ourselves to not, you know, no one can purchase more than like this amount of money just to see what we can do. And then, you know, it could become a competition in itself. Who gets the most value for their amount of money that they're allowed to spend and then see what you can bring to the table. That could Ooh, be a I like role. that. And yeah, you're like, right. buy goifs. Buy, buy as go- many yeah, you goifs buy one as goif you can. and just a bunch of basic lands. <laughs> and you're like, all right, spent my budget, guys. Hope I draw my goif. Goifs with a bunch of basic <laughs> lands sucks. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> so worse. Uh, He's a yeah. he's a, in general a one. An idiot. Will yeah, somebody please cast something? Yeah, I think if the special <laughs> rules gives a uh, a playing field that lets everyone, you know, do something to the best of their abilities, and it's like something that's actually competitive and kind of that. That's kind almost of like playing. a limited format. Yeah, it's you, kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, that okay. I don't hate all rules because that rule <laughs> sounds cool. I really want to do that actually. I'll take the I'll put the game designer hat on and quickly take it off because I am not. A yeah, game it's just constraints, right? That's a different. I, I don't know. It yeah. feels like a different thing. I'm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but I would be careful with special rules because I think it's a slippery slope. It yeah, it's just it. It can be too much where it in it's too much training wheels, and what happens is you get mm-hmm. used to that, and it hurts you when you go outside of that little box that you know that little tunnel where you play. Yeah. You know, you want to be on the same page as what you know most people are are playing, so that you can interact with them. Definitely. Uh, All right. The next question is from X, the underscore sack X, uh, which is, I guess, the sack, hopefully the sack out. With some X's. With some X's, yeah. And that's the same as the Twitter name. And the question is, how do you deal with a playgroup that went from casual to spike while you are still playing Commander just for fun? Womp womp. This happens. This happens. It totally happens. Um, It's it's tough. I mean, because one player who's a little competitive will push your entire playgroup towards yeah. more competitive. That's just what happens with any kind of game. Like even if you're like all just playing Super Smash Brothers and one guy decides to take it a little more seriously, everyone else is going to get raised up by that level. Or they're just going to get left behind and they won't yeah. have as much fun anymore. That's just I mean, I hate to say it, it feels like it's sort of the nature of games. It yeah, happens It's human nature too. It stinks, but it's either like, hey man, become a spike or find another playgroup. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I feel like that's the answer we're gonna be giving is you may just have to reach out and see if there are other people that are playing at your level or if you can find an acceptable way. And like we said, you don't need to be a spike and spend the most money on cards to be able to win at this game. Like there right. are other ways to be very invested in commander and just you could be an amazing politician and win games based on that and that would be a whole you know separate pleasure, i mean I that i would have way more respect for and i think that that's yeah. a, that's a, like a worthy goal is to be like yeah i can't spend as much money as this guy but i can still win because i can do it with politics or i can mm-hmm. do it with crappier cards or whatever you know uh, but spike doesn't always mean spending more money. It might mean a guy who's just willing to spend more time thinking about his decks and tuning his decks than you are and yeah. it's like in that case, you know, if you're not willing to do what that guy's doing or, or you're, you're that guy and nobody else is willing to keep up with you, then you need to find more like-minded individuals, I think. Yeah, agreed. Moving on, Christopher S. Bond asks via email. If you had a chance to play Commander with any three other people, alive or dead, who would they be? Bonus question, what Commander do you think each person would play? Interesting question. 
I'm I'm assuming that if you revive them from the dead, they would be able to play Commander. Would it be them at the like the prime of their life, or you know, would it be? Them I think you can choose when, right? Okay. You, yeah, you All won't right. get them right before they're, they're they've died. Okay. Um, don't go for me. I would. Well, go ahead. I'm gonna just say this. I don't even know that much about the person, but I feel like someone like Winston Churchill would be very interesting to play a political game of EDH with. It feels like he'd be really good at it. Yeah, maybe he'd be. I don't know. You Edric could just do like of Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu. Yeah, Winston Churchill, and maybe like Napoleon. Napoleon. If you just wanted to get destroyed. <laughs> In different ways, mind yeah, you. I'd love yeah. to see a Gandhi deck or a, like a Jesus deck that still <laughs> manages to win without actually like inflicting bodily harm. <laughs> like he just plays like turn to frog a bunch instead. He mills you out. Yeah. Oh, and you end up being be on his side at the end Una, as well. queen of the fae. So Jesus would be Una? I guess so. I mean, we're trying to figure out what commander matches up with them. It could be really anything. It'd be interesting. I think you would want to go and find people that you respected for either like military prowess or like inventors. Like, I mean, the way we play commander is like, we're sitting around and chatting a lot of the time. I might mm-hmm. not even care how they play I want to, I want to play yeah, against right? John Stewart, <laughs> man. Like, like someone interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. It might be like, I don't know, like a great philosopher. Yeah. That'd be great, amazing. Yeah. Just It'd be just so cool like just Einstein to see or, what they would know, play as well. Yeah. Right. How they build the deck. And how it's still effective in certain ways, or like how they who would Einstein play? He play blue. Blue is yeah. it? Maybe he plays something that would involve math. What what involves a lot of math? He play an artifact deck. Like, is there? An I feel eggs, like he would want to take. Deck? I feel like storm. he would want to take. Storm? Oh, storm! Yeah, or he would be taking. Storm's extra like the hardest. Okay, thing he'd to be play taking correctly. extra turns All too right. for sure. He'd be messing with time and space itself. Yeah. All right, Storm then. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I feel like you could just choose great military leaders or like Leonardo da Vinci. I thought you were going to say DiCaprio, and I was going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, just because I want to meet Leo. Come on. Yeah, it'd be, Da Vinci it'd be really would just cool. be doing like altars to all the cards. Yeah, and he'd be playing ornithopters and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, he would definitely be, he would focus heavily on Therese Nielsen art because I feel like that's very much in the world of his sort of creatorship and the craziness. <laughs> Who uh, do you think like Caligula would be? Caligula? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> be a mono red. Mono red? Yeah. I, I was going to say Genghis Khan would be mono red, but I feel like he would just be the Mardu Horde. Mar- Genghis Khan would definitely flip the table on you if he lost. I know oh, that. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. I feel like Genghis Khan and would be And he'd be playing like with Gave Mongolian cards. What if he'd you didn't know what the card did? Yeah. Yeah. Rakdos. Okay. Yeah. All aggression, no regret. He has to play Mario Heart Piercer because that's the most Genghis Khan card ever printed. <laughs> like, and a bunch of P3K horsemanship cards too, of course. Yes. Uh, great question, though. I really like that. Um, but yeah, like Josh said, I would. I'd like to just talk to them for a while and just put the cards aside. Maybe <laughs> it'd be cool if the game itself. Like, I think that. Yeah, that would. I would go in that direction. People who I don't care about the game so much, I just get to sit at, sit at the table with them. Yeah. All right, uh, our next question comes from Richard Blakely at Kirito552, which I believe is a shout-out to the anime Sword Art Online. And Richard asks, What is the best cloak and dagger commander? I'm going to say Edric, Spymaster. Spymaster of Trest. Yeah. yeah. He is the Spymaster, right? Without question. There, there you go. So many, that was the quickest answered question yet. <laughs> so many rogues in that. You'll yeah, you'll be able to equip anything you want. Yeah. Or there's also, um, is it Lazav, Demir Mastermind? Or yeah. The, the guy he's that, not as cloak and dagger as Edric. True. But doesn't he, doesn't he have a cloak and dagger in his art? I don't know. Maybe. 
Probably does, but he's not as cloak and dagger as Edric. <laughs> That's true. Edric is definitely. But and especially with with Edric, you build it with unblockable creatures, and then you just draw a ton of cards, and yeah. th- that makes it untargetable. He's the spy master. Yeah, you can't get more cloak master, and dagger. Yeah. All right, uh, next question. Have fun. Unless You're you can make Whisper Silk cloak a uh, commander. By the way, that deck way better one on one or one on two than uh, in big multiplayer. Definitely. All right, Richard's next question. Are there any good black board wipe spells? There's lots. Ready? Crooks of Fate. Ah. Damnation. I was going to say Damnation. Uh, we're going to go with Decree of Pain. Toxic Deluge. Good one. Um, Black Sun Zenith. Oh, man. You keep taking mine. Um, you you got in the bad seat because you're in the third seat. I know. I'm in anyway, the third seat. Anyway, that's a lot. We're, yeah, there are a bunch. That's, uh, Damnation is the most expensive out of all of them, but a lot of them are very cheap. Um Toxic Deluge, I think, is one of my favorites. There's also, Toxic Deluge is one of the best What's the, the one best destroy everybody else's creatures? Uh, in Garrick's Wake. I don't um, know. I think we gave him enough. Yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of blackboard wipes out there. Uh, you can also just uh, look up this on Google, and usually there's some forum thread on MTG Salvation or whatever that has this question answered in detail, but which is always nice. My favorites, Toxic Deluge. Yeah, Toxic Deluge is, is Unbelievable. And any others that you would think like uh, like a staple, like a have-to-have? I can't. I mean, I think Ingeric's Wade is hilarious if you can get it cast, just because it's destroy all other creatures and like. What's hey. the What's the one decree of? There's decree of annihilation. Decree of pain. And there's decree of pain. Decree of annihilation. I think gets rid of everyone's stuff but yours. Uh, which one draws you all the cards? That's for the decree ones? of pain. I yeah. think. Oh, decree both of great. annihilation. Which, is why are we still red. talking about? Yeah, this. which is red. Yeah, it's true. Guys, <laughs> we've answered his question like thoroughly. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> all right, next question. Are there any good cards that synergize with Nekusar the Mind Razor? Okay, I'm going to answer this one really quick. Episode 13, there's a ton. Just go listen to it. There's a ton. And they're actually in all five colors, as yeah. you would have it. <laughs> well, most of the ones that synergize with him are in the right colors. Yeah, definitely. All right, so that is all the questions we're going to answer for now. So hopefully you heard Woo-hoo. your name. Again, email us your address at commandcast at rocketjump.com, mm-hmm. and we will... Uh, Send you out your prizes. So yep, 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 yep. Let us, know what, let us know what question you asked as well. So for or questions or questions, correct. All right, time for the end step. End step time, cleanup phase. We actually didn't do this last week, so we gotta do it this week. Uh, end step is a phase uh, in Magic, but it's also a part of this podcast where we talk about stuff that may not be related to the world of Magic to the Gathering, to the Gathering, but it is something that we are thinking about and we're interested in. Josh. Uh, mine is going to be a podcast called Hardcore History because we talked Whoa. about Genghis Khan just a second ago and made me think of it. Uh, it's called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Go check it out. Cool. I've been looking at uh, 3D printers. So, yeah, I've been looking at the uh, Ultimaker 2. Anybody uh, have any thoughts, please uh, leave a, a comment. All right. And the, the cool thing I found this week was the Rolly keyboard. It's R-O-L-I. It's this crazy pressure-sensitive keyboard. That doesn't look like any keyboard you've ever seen, but it creates like it like makes instant Blade Runner soundtrack music. So if you guys haven't checked that out, there are some really interesting videos on that as well. Very cool. And also, I guess I, this is two weeks out, but the shirt is both white and gold and purple and black. <laughs> so it's amazing. if you guys remember this, no one two will weeks talk later, about that. Two yeah, weeks exactly. Later. Yeah. I'm interested to see the people that are still finding out about it or don't know about it by the two week period. So let us know as well if you just found out about this crazy wild thing. Dress. Dress, bro. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com.
or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.